Um, the closer we can get the analysts to think about creative things to do with the data, as opposed to sitting there trying to figure out how to get data into the tag management system, the more value we're going to get out of stuff like data layers. Because I know there's a lot of young analysts out there who have a ton of really, really, really good ideas and really creative ways to solve problems. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a roundtable discussion covering a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Your hosts, Jason Thompson, John Moran, Jen Coons, and myself, Jim Driscoll, all live in different areas of the world, but work together in the same company. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. Um, so, uh, for me, the gym is kind of like my sanity, especially working from, from home. Sometimes it's like, other than my wife, my chance to see other people, um, or, you know, let me rephrase that, uh, other than my wife, it's chance, it's a chance to have other kind of human contact throughout the day that isn't on a phone or a WebEx or something like that. And actually like, be in the presence of, uh, of other people. For me, my, my sanity is the opposite. It's hiking out in nowhere land where all mm-hmm. I run into are deer. Um, but I haven't been able to do it cause I hurt my freaking foot from like overuse too much hiking <laughs> without taking a day off. So <laughs> like my foot, I got some tendonitis and it swole up. It's better today. So I'm thinking I can get back on my hiking routine. I just need to learn to take day off days off. Mm-hmm. I, it just feels so good and refreshing that I just, I don't want to stop, but there, I know you need to take a break every once in a while. You can you can practice handstands, and when your uh, legs get tired, when your ankles get tired, <laughs> walk on walk upside down on your hands. We're supposed to be adaptable, you know, and I don't I don't know about that adaptable. <laughs> Look, man, um, I guess you could always do arms. I mean strength training if you don't want to do i don't have any i don't have any machinery for it body weight man push-ups yep. and push-ups sit-ups pull, uh, that will last that will last about all of about 45 seconds <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i'd go hiking but i'd run into cars um probably the same in philly where mm-hmm. <laughs> there's not any hiking in this but there's a hellhole. lot of there's probably a lot of really cool abandoned buildings. So I I follow a couple of guys on YouTube mm-hmm. that go and explore abandoned buildings and malls and stuff in urban's and like urban settings. It is mm-hmm. super cool. If I, I I don't I, I'm sure it's highly illegal, but it looks really fun. If I want to get stabbed by a meth head, I <laughs> I think that sounds like a great plan. Um, uh, yeah. Other, <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, I usually. Man, you guys that. are just shooting me down all over. No, I'm not. I'm not. Well, no, what, what, what I was going to say is, where I'm at, like, there, there's not necessarily close hiking trails. I can go out and say walk ten minutes to to a, to a trail, but about thirty minutes or away or so, depending upon time of day and traffic, you have uh, Valley Forge National Park. Oh, um, cool. So. I can go out to, to Valley Forge and I mean, it's just wide open spaces that you, there's various trails that you can walk and bike and stuff like that. And then there's a few other like preserves around here. You can do that. But again, that's something where you got to jump in the car and go to. So that's something like, that's like a Saturday afternoon thing. Like oh, yeah. let's pack up. And now in this case, you know, pack up the stroller and then, and, and take them for a walk through Valley Forge. Yeah. I, I feel incredibly lucky. And I think that's part of why I'm trying to get out there more is that, I, I can literally walk out my back door yeah. onto a trail onto a trailhead that connects with uh, an 11,000 ish foot summit um, mm-hmm. in my backyard and I never have to drive anywhere. I can get from my backyard to that summit um, by a trail that runs through there. And it's, oh, that's awesome. It's like I you got to take it. Not that I've been to the top of that mountain, but technically you could. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I, I jump on that that trail and kind of go up into the foothills a bit and 
it's like I walk out there. I'm like, this is amazing that I can walk out of my backyard into this trail system. It's it's pretty mm-hmm. cool. That's awesome. That that is really cool. I and and that that's the one thing. Like I've actually been talking to a few people that where I'm at. Like I'm technically in the suburbs of, of Philadelphia, mm-hmm. but it's becoming very very crowded. It's almost like, in in my opinion, reached like this classification that's between urban and suburban. Yeah. Because when you think of sub- suburbs, you think about you know more spread out. Kind of where I'm at right now, it's 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 you know you definitely can't call it urban, but it's definitely not suburban anymore. It's definitely more more crowded. So like the, this morning, went to the gym, came home, and then ran out to do some grocery shopping because we just need food in the house, and just trying to get from one area to another because everyone else is out right now too. Um, you know, it being Good Friday and everyone's out getting their stuff for for Easter and oh, yeah. uh, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow being Passover, everyone's out getting their their stuff for that. It was just chaotic getting <clears throat> from one end of town to to another, and that's why I'm like, yeah, it's not quite suburban anymore. So that th- that's the the one one of the downfalls of where I'm at. Um, Sounds rough. Mine's yeah. uh, <laughs> mine's definitely not the safest place in the world where okay. i live i uh, yeah i think i was talking to jim once and he's like yeah hold on there's gunshots in the neighborhood yeah oh wow no I've, it's in my backyard really uh i live <laughs> all right it so, was something like that right yeah 100 percent. i haven't gotten i haven't heard gunshots in a while to be honest it's been months really and it, it used to be like a weekly thing um the, i have section 8 housing kind of behind my house and so like Atlanta housing is it's interesting. Either you buy a house that's like, you know, forty years old and it's like ugly as hell and a lot smaller, uh, and you live you could live in like a, a nicer kind of semi urban slash suburban type of area, or you can get a really nice house live an hour away from the city um, Mm. with no traffic or you can get a really nice house, but you live in kind of a transitional area that's close to the city. And I'm in, I chose option three. Um, It's a, it's a really cool spot, but like I'm right by the jail. (laughs) Number one, which is also a police station, which is also where I go renew my, my tags every year for my car, which is nice. Uh, that one time per year. Um, (laughs) So there's that like less than a mile away. And then in my backyard, I have like section eight housing, uh, which is fine. I don't, I don't care. It's um, you know, they mind their own business. I mind my own business and it's like, I don't like living next to apartments period. I don't care if it's section eight or regular apartments. And I'd be, you know, I, I feel like if, I feel like in Memphis, um, there were a lot of apartments that were like, that had college kids in there. And that's like way worse than like any other apartment complex you could live next to, like by a long shot. I'll take gunshots over, I'll take gunshots over college kids. <laughs> having, having been a college kid that lived in an apartment next to a residential neighborhood, I can confirm that I was probably one of those guys. Yeah, I was part of the problem too. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all were at uh, <laughs> at some point. So now we're like, you know, the the the, the older folks like, you know, get off my lawn. Like I, yeah. I am close to becoming that get off my lawn guy <laughs> because uh, you know we 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 live in a row home, and of course, you know, like okay, I want to kind of keep it up, make sure you know the lawn looks nice, and of course, the kids come running along. Is that like a townhome? You know, strip of, yeah, okay, townhome. Well, um, you know, same 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 concept. So of course I, I am quickly becoming the the get off my lawn guy. Yeah, and the, and he's become he's gone full dad. He was out in the front yard the other day in jorts and uh, white socks Fucking and own it, man. Uh, sandals, <laughs> and he had the, the the trimmers out and he was trimming the shrubbery. Honestly, that's that's well, a lot more. No, I had the saws all out and was ripping out evergreen bush. <laughs> you you dressed up way more than I dress up. I'm in right now. Like I went out <laughs> I went out the other day. My lawnmower doesn't work, so I, I got my weed whacker, which it's like not a gas and or it's not gas, it's electric. Mm-hmm. I went out there with my weed whacker and cut my front my front yard in like 
thong sandals and like pajama <laughs> pants and an undershirt. Nice. <laughs> it's just out for mm-hmm. it. Cutting it, it looks it looks awful. My whole yard looks awful, but uh you know. Anyway, no shame in that man. Own it. <laughs> Own it. For sure. So our our listeners may uh recognize the voice. We have Jim Gordon back already. Oh, was that record was this recorded? Oh no. Oh yeah, yeah I'm right. Yeah, this that this was is gonna recorded. be part of the, the random conversation the kick off the show. <laughs> I dropped a couple F bombs here and there. I hope that's not like uh oh man. You're trying to get us an E rating. I am. Is that that means everyone? That stands for everyone in video game world. E is that for, what it is? E for everyone. E's, yeah. E for everyone. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. Kids out there. And, uh, so we just dropped today, as we're recording this, we just dropped uh, episode number one with our esteemed guest here, um, which has already, man been popular you got you've gotten a lot more likes than i have on the linkedin post of the episode i know that was weird you must have a more faithful you saw that too right yeah yeah it was was funny you have a bigger following than i do i don't think so man um but (laughs) all right driscoll so what 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 are we looking to do i know we had lots of follow-ups you need to keep you know with jim and jim gordon and i on we could talk for like two hours and never get back to the subject so <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> that's true no and, and and i can just add to add to that as well um but uh so i i want to pick back up with where the, the episode we had last week so i want to continue the conversation around data layers and a lot of this is because there's just so much to talk about and i knew going in one episode would not be enough and so last week we really delved into the details and the technical ideas around it. You know, uh, talking a lot about you know Jim's blog post. You know, uh, appealing to Adobe to to set a a standard and to, talking about why the W three C has aged and where we may have to go with that. But what I want to do is I want to take a, a step back and talk about more of the the business side this time. With, with data layers um, and really uh, talk about why the conversation we had last week is so important and why it is important to get into those details. But let, let's talk about like, um, you know, that as well as for those that are listening, um, a data layer is a lot of times a hard sell in an organization. Um, a lot of times when you go to your program managers, when you go to senior management, asking for development resources to put code on the page, the first question is, is how is this going to impact revenue? What is going to be the lift in whatever metric they're looking at, whether it's it's revenue, visits, visitors, whatever, what is going to be the impact of adding this and having development spend time on it um, and, and actually working and, and developing and deploying it? With a data layer, like there is no direct um direct benefit and benefit may not be the best word to use but you're you're it, it's not going to be used for some kind of remarketing campaign it's not going to drive revenue directly there's other benefits toward it so and jason i know for the last couple of years you and i have written um articles multiple times about the value of, of a data layer so let, let's spend some time talking about the history how we've gotten to this point and why it's necessary to dive into the details like we did last week. Sure. Uh, well, I, I, I think for for one, um, data layers can be used for stuff like remarketing. And I, I think that's going to be part of the uh, value proposition that we talk about. I mean, ind- indirectly, they're not going to, they don't press the go button on a, on a remarketing campaign, but Correct. you can, yes. you can yes. add, um, you can put in, a, a put additional details into uh, stuff like your your tracking pixel, which which um, directly impacts you know your campaign. Which, by the way, that's that's starting up with a value prop. But before we go into the total value propositions, let's you know we'll t- we'll take a step back and and talk about um, a, a little bit of a rehash of of our conversation um, last week, where uh, when we sold these tag management systems, the the value proposition was that development would spend less time doing development work 
right? That was that wasn't just me. That was that was other tag management vendors as well. And I, I people still probably sell on that basis alone. <clears throat> you know, saying, okay, well, this is your new jQuery container where you can listen for stuff to happen on the page. Um, you know, and I have I have my own thoughts about that, but uh, that was the value proposition when we sold through tag management. Now we're kind of pulling a reversal and saying, oh. Uh, yeah, that value proposition where developers, you didn't have to spend as much time implementing these like individual line items on the page. Yeah, uh, we were kind of looking that through, looking at that through a, a different lens, you know? I mean, it saves time on some stuff, but let's backtrack a little bit and start implementing this inline stuff again. And as a developer, I, I can't reconcile what the difference is between implementing, uh, I, I mean, I could, but it's like, you know, there's there's an education process associated with it, and I I don't think I don't think that developers are incentivized to necessarily uh, understand literally everything that we're doing and why we're doing it. I mean, some of them, a lot of them do, and I'm not giving them enough credit, but um, but this is this is the issue that we've run into where we're like, oh, okay, yeah, that value proposition of that tag management system that was going to save you a ton of time. Uh, by the way, um, we're going to kind of walk back on that a little bit and now we've got to implement stuff um and that's when we have to come up with a really good value proposition a really well-constructed value proposition to get this work uh prioritized so that's the situation right now um so can we can we dive into that a little bit more because it's an interesting topic to me for for a couple different uh, reasons. Number one, one of the propositions, value props to the development team was that we were going to build something that was more native to what they were used to as a front-end developer. Whereas before, I had to, as a developer, learn a whole new lingo and language if I was implementing Google Analytics or Adobe or fill in the blank. Like everyone has their own kind of unique way of referring to data and variables and things we were capturing. And so one of the promises of the data layer was you can forget all about that. You don't you don't have to understand any of this Adobe speak or Google speak, you just yeah. pass something in in a human readable format that makes sense to you in a way that you as a developer would do this for any other project that, that you were working on. And, and I think at one point in time, we were moving down that path. And then I don't know what happened, but something seemed to pivot to a point where it became even more messy than it was before, even though we weren't necessarily talking in the vendor lingo anymore. And I'm not sure why that was. I think it's the no, W3C. Is it? Yeah. I, I mean, there was definitely something there. It, and, for, and for me, the biggest concern was what you just brought up in that I want the developers I work with to be intimately familiar on why they're doing things. Mm -hmm. It's it's critically right. important. I don't want yep. them just setting a variable or a value in a data layer. I want them to know the why because having seen it work like that in the past, it's it's amazing when they're invested and care how much a valuable part of the project team they become because they then they can start questioning and say, okay, I see what you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. I have a little bit better way to do it. Or I see we're passing X in. It doesn't make sense in that scenario because it's going to give you Y when you do your analysis. And so my concern of them not being invested in that is, is concerning to me. Yeah, you're, you're right. You're 100% right. Actually, um, in a, in, in several instances where I've consulted with with uh, uh, some companies and I've spoken with their analytics team and they're like, I just don't get why we can't get anything done. I'm like, okay, well, well, have you spoken with the developers? I'm like, yeah, we, we replied on the JIRA ticket. This is what they're saying. I'm like, no, have, have you like talked to them, like met them in person? And they hadn't even met these folks in person. They, they, haven't, they haven't spoken to them before. And and that was shocking to me because I was like, well, there's there's a certain level of personal accountability associated with, um, you know, when when you build relationships with, you know, not just your developers, your stakeholders as well. I mean, you're you're probably talking to, uh, 
a paid media team or you're talking to um, some business unit that wants to get a thing done and it's like the, the shit just rolls downhill and the developers will feel like they're at the bottom of that hill and that shit just hit them at the bottom of that hill because because some task was handed to you and then you're handing some task to that developer and and saying oh hey by by you know means of this game of telephone you should do this and then it it just kind of muddies everything um but the more we operate like we're a team the more we operate like we're all humans and we all have certain motivations um different motivations but i mean we all want to see each other succeed uh yeah. and i i think i think the more personal accountability um you build with your development team especially your development team because so many people just overlook it it's like oh they're just a means to an end no they're your partners they're your partners that can vouch for you when you need to get shit done you know so so are you, are you saying that it's and i i think i agree with the if i if i understand what you're saying that it's really more of an organizational issue than it is a technology issue because uh, again i think that's one of the things that collectively we hoped with the introduction of the data layer would magically solve was this gap between the business, the analysts, the digital analysts, the, and the, the development teams, because we could at least now start talking a common language. And when it didn't fix it, we sat there wondering why. So yeah. is it, is it just an organizational issue? Is it an issue also with the technology or I'm guessing oh, maybe Jason, a combination it's, of it's both. one simple answer. There's one single thing. No, no, obviously it's a combination. It's a combination of both. It's like, if it was, if it was a super easy fix, um, one of us would have already written a blog post on it and <laughs> it taken care of. Um, the top three things that you can do. <laughs> 15 reasons why your data layer, actually I kind of wrote that with the data layer versus CSS selectors thing, but um, <laughs> what the Mueller report means for your tag management strategy. <laughs> that's a good LinkedIn that's post, some, man. That's some LinkedIn gold right there. Absolutely. 100%. Um, yeah. Obviously it's a combination of these things. I, I, I think, Ultimately, at the end of the day, so like a good way to to a good way to understand um, a good way to approach problems is to understand the outcome that we want. The outcome that I want is I, I want data layers to be a prerequisite. I, I don't I don't think it should be a question of whether or not we implement a data layer. It's you know, maybe maybe it's broken up into a phased approach because okay, we have these. This is an enterprise website. We don't have the resources to do all of this at once. But at the very least, you know, we can we can um, begin with the important stuff and with the understanding that this is a, a phased implementation for for a data layer. And I I don't think I think that's the language that that we need to to fix. And we we addressed this uh, last week as well, where it's you know it doesn't feel like a prerequisite and yeah for consultants maybe it does yeah like the people listening you're probably like well yeah it's a prerequisite to me that's what you sound like um yeah it's a prerequisite <laughs> wait. to me wait say it one more time <laughs> yeah it's a prerequisite <laughs> to me jason i'm jason thompson oh duh data layers obviously um <laughs> it might be a prerequisite to you but but um you know we're we're just a small corner of this analytics industry. We're a very, very teeny, 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 tiny corner of this yeah. analytics industry. Um, so, so let's, let's dive into that a little bit deeper because I, I agree. And it's not just a data layer thing. That's, that's been something that we've been trying to make happen since I got into this industry in 2004, 2005 is we've constantly asked, how do we get analytics integrated as a core part of our, platform development and we're what 15 years later and we're we're still not there and and i think we've we've gotten closer but it's it's a step down you know if if i'm developing a new page for my site then i go through a checklist and say okay i need to make sure the jquery library is included i need to make sure our common header and footer are there so we have 
the nav gets included and legal's happy because we have all the legal copy down in the footer. I, I don't even think twice about it, right? Like those are things I have to include in any project that I start. How do we get to a point where the analytics infrastructure is just mm -hmm. as important in that conversation as all the other pieces that are standard in any new site development that I would do. Cause I, I haven't seen it in any company that I've had the opportunity to work with where that works all the time. Well, I think, I think arguably people haven't been motivated to, to make decisions with their data. Um, in my opinion, you know, our, our industry is in, it should be in something of a bubble where, uh, this is kind of a hot take. So, um, turn on your air conditioning. Um, but <laughs> we, we have a lot of analysts out there who aren't doing a heck of a lot with, with the data that they collect. And, and I, think, I don't think there's motivation to, to implement something like a data layer if they're not using the data for anything of substance, you know? And let's- We're gonna have to, we're gonna have, to have Jim come back for episode three, which is where we're <laughs> gonna talk about that. Because you're right, I mean, that's, that's like a whole other episode. And I think I even have written some content about that is that our, our, our industry is um, overwhelmingly technical. And I don't say that in a bad way, but mm -hmm. we, we hire technical implementers and we put the title of analyst on them. And they never really fulfill the role of analyst. At best, they create some reporting and distribute some data around. Um, and I think that that's having the unintended impact of what you just described is the business isn't really seeing the full value. Thus, we haven't been invited to the big kids table at uh, Thanksgiving dinner. And the, the requirements of getting analytics in is important, but it's not A1 critical import, critically important because there isn't really massive, massive decisions being made on the data on an ongoing basis. Yeah, and I, I'd also argue this is a, a super spicy take too, that some organizations might even save money without an analytics department period. Um, but that's, like I said, a, a totally different conversation. And let's tie this back to what we were talking about before. What, what, are, the, what are the value propositions uh, of a data layer? Uh, and I, I have a list based on conversations that I had with some folks about data layers. Um, you know, my offer still stands, by the way, if you wanna talk about data layers, hit me up on Twitter or LinkedIn and I will literally sit on a call and talk to you about data layers as long as you want. Um, it's, it's productive. These are productive conversations. And I, I like to think about, I like to get new perspectives and um, anyway, you get the idea. All right. So the value. Can, can, can you talk about, and you can come back and come back to this, but can you talk about the type of people that are reaching out to you? Is it consultants? Is it practitioners? Is it SaaS vendors? I'd love to get a sense of who's, it's, who's excited to talk to you about this stuff? It's a good mix. Uh, you know, to be honest, I haven't spoken to anyone who wasn't a data layer believer. You know, uh, it's mostly just passionate practitioners um, who, well, actually, I, I had one conversation with someone who wasn't a, a believer in data layers, but that I, I think, I think, I think it was a, I don't, I don't think it was a, person not believing in in data layers more than a, a person whose product whose product's basis um the, the the whole purpose of the product is to try to not to it's basically like a tag management cell like oh you put one line of code on your website and you're tracking everything so we're, we're kind of back, back yeah. at the front I, and you know maybe it works maybe maybe it doesn't but that wasn't the purpose of why i was trying to talk to people um so so the the people I spoke to, uh, it, it was a few consultants. Um, uh, uh, I'd say about half of them worked on on client side for like larger larger organizations. Um, they were most of them were were pretty tech. Actually, no, I, I take that back. Half of them were were very very tech savvy. The other half um, were more on the the business business marketing side, which was which was really cool because we got to talk about talk through like every dimension of of data layers and 
trying to find the value proposition, how to justify it, how they justify it, how they implement it. And it's, it's really interesting. They all had different ways of implementing uh, data layers. Even with Google Tag Manager, people had different ways of implementing uh, the data layer. Now, now it was it was more narrow in scope, like with the with Adobe DTM and, and launch. Um, you know, the breadth of of methodologies that were used for data layers was super super wide. Whereas Google Tag Manager was like, okay, yeah, we use data layer push, but on top of that, we also use stuff like HTML5 data attributes and mixed in some CSS selectors here and there. Um, but where we net out with that is that the I have five key value propositions. I I have to reread all these notes, and uh, there's there's certainly more than just these five. But um, the first one is reduce maintenance for your implementation. I and I know that it sounds counterintuitive because yeah, you still have to maintain a data layer, but I can't instruct a designer and a developer to both alert me when a specific thing changed. Uh, if I'm using CSS selectors, like oh yeah. Um, Developer, hey, let me know when this class name changes. And the developer's like, I don't, I don't care. Developer's like, I don't care when a class name change. Why do I need to memorize when these class names change? And a designer, hey, by the way, uh, let me know when you change a class name or an ID. And the designer's like, I don't want to have to add an extra step to my process. Um, so reducing maintenance, it's we we send out one set of instructions to developers. Developers, if you if you see this function that looks like data layer dot update or data layer dot push or some unique function that's specific to analytics, let us know. And that's a lot easier than some of these more um, these these other uh, uh, more malleable um, methodologies. By malleable, I'm using that in the context of uh, uh, it's it's easier and expected to to change the elements that drive the um, the data layer, like CSS selectors. Not as much. I think HTML5 data attributes those are those are uh, less malleable. Those are more those are more static. I guess someone's going to yell at me for using like the word malleable and static <laughs> in in the wrong context, but you get what I mean. Okay, so reduced maintenance, right? Um, uh, because it's it's hard coded on the page, I don't have to worry about CSS stuff changing. Um, we have consistent definitions. I mean, this is the biggest one: consistent definitions. My data is consistent, right? Um, I I don't have I don't have uh, terms coming in in Spanish, um, you know, English, French. Hindi, you name Mandarin, uh, you you name a language. I've I've seen it. There are languages that I've literally didn't know existed until someone used Google Translate on my site. Um, and actually, consistent definitions uh, also in that. Uh, Jim, you and I were talking. Um, we actually had a conversation, and this came up when I was talking to you about different departments might define revenue differently. Correct. Um, you know, I, I've, I've seen that. I've seen one of two things happen around that. There's, you know, you, you could have two different teams define revenue differently. One could be just gross revenue, the total amount paid by a customer and the vendor that they're working with wants that versus, say, another team wants net revenue. So the amount paid per product, you know, you're not including shipping and tax. And then there could even be a third translation where we want product revenue, we want shipping revenue and whatnot. So one of the one of the situations is, is with the data layer, you are able to ensure you have you're able to produce the various permutations. But then the other case is, is it also en enables you to ensure that what if there's an organization wide de definition for revenue for all various analytics and marketing tech vendors, the data layer conforms to that. Because what I've seen in the past, and this is going back, you know, just as tag management tools were, were really coming online, you still had um, um, companies putting out the vendor specific code onto the page. And in large organizations, a lot of that work was being done in silos. So you could have like say one 
marketing conversion tag being done by one project team, uh, an analytics update being done by another project team, and both requirements just say revenue. And I've seen it where you had revenue calculated as two different things. So then it, it starts this whole um, scenario that spins out of control is why doesn't revenue net? Whereas with the data layer, you're able to ensure that if two different tools need two different definitions of revenue, you can support that, but then also ensure that in, in, in as many cases as possible, the same value being defined for revenue is being sent to you know, all of the different vend vendors involved. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, I think the same goes with, with way more than just revenue too. It's, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen the dimension called language in an uh, implementation and i'm like wait is this browser language is this the language of the current site is this and and building out a data layer also um it it just it segues really neatly into into constructing your uh all of your data definitions and that's that, and yeah go for it yeah, what I was going to say, you know, with, with that, you know, talking about, you know, defining your data definitions, that you're you're ensuring that there is a standard across the board, because I, you know, we've talked about this many times, Jason and I and Jim, I know you've been pulled into this, the the dreaded question of why don't these two systems net? And I mean, there's there's already reasons mm -hmm. off the bat, and I don't want to get too far into this, but again, just another common example to use, where with the data layer, you're able to implement standards for various metrics, you know, the common one being revenue, or in this case, you bring up a good one with browser, you know, with language, you know, what, what language are we talking about um, and, and whatnot. You're able to ensure that there's standards in the, the data that you're sending off to various vendors so that it, it doesn't unnecessarily cause, um, discrepancies and then next thing you know you're, you're you're hunting for a needle in a haystack yep and i th so another another value proposition we have is uh more detailed data and what's interesting about <laughs> but more detailed data all right i i can't i'm not going to sell my company to build a data layer if by saying oh well we'll have more detailed data i i don't think that's that's sufficient um but I think if we put it in the context of uh, a story, if we're, if we're good storytellers with what we can do with that data, like put yourself in the shoes of a product owner. I remember Ben Gaines and it was either um, Blair Reeves or, or Corey Spencer were, were, were talking about how to tell a story as a, as a product manager, um, how critically important that is to uh, communicating, you know, priority and impact of, of the, the features that you want to, uh, that you want to build and deploy, being able to tell a story with your data layer, it runs in the, a similar vein. We want to have this prior, we want to prioritize this. And if we don't have a story, if we don't have like an outcome, a specific outcome that we expect, um, then, then you know, I'm not going to prioritize that as a developer because like, oh, you just want this data for the sake of having extra data. Well, no, I, I, I want this because um, uh, Jane, the paid media manager, can target people with more detail if, um, obviously that's too vague, but uh, can target people who live in this region and have uh, 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 this type of grass, all of this is in the data layer that we can pass into, let's say a remarketing pixel. As a lawnmower service, I know that I'm gonna re I can retarget this person because they are more likely to convert, right? Because I know more about my user. Um, I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that people will know what type of grass they have in their lawn, but, mm -hmm. but ultimately you're trying to tell that story. You're trying to add characters um, to that story. And I did a really bad job of coming up with an example because I'm just riffing, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but you get what I mean. Yeah, no, you, you bring up a great point there. And this is also another thing that you and I talked about when we had that, that initial conversation is when, to, um, so one of, um, you know, one of the gigs I had about 10 years ago, working for an e-commerce platform provider, 
and I was the one doing the analytics implementations. And at the time, we were um, we we were working with the developers to deploy the vendor specific code through the page. And one of the things that enabled us to do was to get the deep data that isn't native to the page. So when the tag managers really started to come along, and you had a very aggressive sales environment, and you had that one line that always drove me nuts. It's, hey, just just pop our code on the page, and you can move everything into our single container just and pop take, it. You know, just pop it in there, and, and you're good to go. But that 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 sales pitch makes the assumption that all of the data that you need is native to the page, which is far from the case. So like we were talking there about more detailed data or deeper data that, that's available, whether it's for an analytics implementation so you can get a deeper understanding of who your customer mm -hmm. is around, like, say, profile data when they're authenticated or a remarketing campaign, knowing not just that they viewed a page, but you know, what, what third level category does this product fall into? Or what's the manufacturer things that may not necessarily be native to the page or native across the site, for example, um, you may know a product manufacturer when they're on the IDP, but once they've added a product to cart, and here's another really detailed example, they add a product to cart, you have a persistent cart, they leave they come back, they view the cart, you see that the items in the cart, but you lose all that detailed product data. Again, that can help enhance a retargeting campaign. I think what you're absolutely right. And um, so, so if someone's asking you to just pop something on the page, slap it on the page, just stick that right in there on that page. You, oh, you can do I'm, that. I'm, 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 I'm breaking out in hives hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's a, it's a quick ask. Yes. First of all, I first of all, uh, ask is not a noun. Uh, folks who are listening, um, I have a quick. You don't. You have a question. You don't have an. Anyway, I'm gonna moving on. The 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 the. If you want us to pop it on the page, I mean, the biggest one of the huge value propositions of a data layer is it brings us closer to just popping something on the page with more detail. The lead time to implementing pixels on a website dramatically reduces with the with with the data layer, right? Yeah. Um, Again, yeah, and Jason and I actually proved that out maybe about two years ago. We were working with a client and we were able to, you know, again, it was, it, 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 we were actually able to get some really good details on it. And I'm, I'll make sure, Jason, we put this in the show notes as well, link back up to that, 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 that blog post we put together, differentiating between no data layer TMS without a data layer and then TMS with a data layer, we were able to highlight the savings you get being able to do just exactly that, Jim, you know, pop something onto a page. I, I think we should, I think we should ban the word, pop, pop this tag onto the page, just quickly implement this thing, ban it until you have a data layer. And then you can say pop, you, you get pop rights back when the data layer is on the page, you get pop rights back. That's, that's <laughs> when you get pop, you get to pop things. Yeah. I'm a fan of that. <laughs> Again, because a lot of that, that you know, it that, that just brings back bad memories of you know. Also, the the whole phrase of like quick wins, you know, you, there, there's a quick win. Oh, yeah. there, there's no quick wins without a data layer, and that all goes back to to two years ago with the the, the sales pitch of of, of the TMS, mm -hmm. knowing that what clients wanted to do and it couldn't be done without that data being exposed to the page like quick wins it's kind of like when you're doing it without a data layer it's like play stupid games win stupid prizes <laughs> yeah but like honestly and honestly I, i've just flat out banned the word quick wins from my vocabulary because <laughs> the times i've seen it used it's turned any, out to anything turned out to be anything but quick and be a win uh, well i mean that's um that's our our that was the whole value proposition in Las Vegas. Quick wins, man. It all it works one hundred percent of the time, twenty five percent of the time. So, uh, slot machines and and table games. It's fantastic. Um, I so I think I, another note I had is it's really interesting. I I was talking to some people and they were like, well, we you have to build a process around um, around data layers. Um, and it was it was really funny. I heard this from a couple folks where it's like, you know, 
why not just build a process around CSS selectors? And it's it's like trying to design around like yeah, because data layers they they do require some kind of process. They do require some some form some type of some level of education. Um, we we have to. That's part of evangelizing this whole concept is is educating our our stakeholders, our development partners, um, and that that does require a process. But it is it is far more preferable than building a process around CSS selectors. Now, I'm not really good with analogies. I know some people like you know right off the cuff they're really 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 good with analogies but that's just like that's like your kitchen getting destroyed in a fire and you saying well we'll just order out pizza to work around this instead of fixing your kitchen and then for the rest of your life you're just ordering mm, <laughs> all right pizza. stop it oh i thought you were like groaning at the analogy <laughs> Um, no, it's lunchtime, and now I'm even more hungry. I, I actually had lunch just before this, and I had a hamburger, and I went out to get it, and I have a kitchen upstairs. Don't did you tell rate, my wife. Did you rate the hamburger? I, I, I don't rate places that I love um, because I eat hamburgers. Where did you go? I went, Shout out. Where did you I go? went to this place called Skips. It's out here in Avondale Estates, Georgia, which is right by Decatur. Most people have heard of Decatur. Um, the place is awesome. I, uh, it's like, you have to, you have to level set your expect. So for, for the listeners, I rate hamburgers around Atlanta. Um, the thing is though, there's some places that I, I eat there for a very specific reason. It's not like, like either it's nostalgia or sometimes I just want to enjoy a hamburger. It doesn't have to be a 10 out of 10. Skips is one of those places. Is it a 10 out of 10? No. Uh, uh. but it's awesome. It's just like, it's a cool place. Like it's like an old school fast food place. that has been around for about 30 years and just stuck around somehow like battled through, battled through, you know, <laughs> like recessions and stuff like somehow it's still there. Um, and, I, and I have that place here and I think I, and I'm scared to take you because the burger is probably a three or four out of 10. It doesn't matter. It's like, it's but a, this, the, I've been going to this place since, like 1984 or 85 and it's still there and it's the same burger and it just is amazing the me. worst people you can go out to eat with are the ones that say oh this isn't real pizza like like shut up man just let me enjoy my pizza like <laughs> i like are you enjoying my company like do you like the atmosphere do you like sitting outside by this nice fountain in beautiful weather like <laughs> the pizza doesn't have to be like oh this isn't new york style um like i get it but just try to enjoy yourself try to enjoy your meal i've probably done yeah, that before man. in the past but like shut up and enjoy your food don't ruin it for everybody else um i do that with burgers it's like people want me to rate it i'm like and i'm fine with it if you really want me to rate it i will tell you i will tell you how it rates in comparison to the best burger place in Atlanta, which in my opinion is one eared stag, the meat stick. Um, I rated it at a nine point at nine point eight. This is like factoring in four different um variables. Uh <laughs> but it's one of the best it's it's one eared stag. It's out in um not Kirkwood. I don't know. It's it's close to where I live. Uh but it's like expensive ish. And like, if you go there, you get a burger and if you get a cocktail, the cocktail is like 20 bucks and they're good. It's worth it. But like, I don't want to go there every weekend to get a, to get a burger. It's anyway, one of your stag. All it's right. Excellent. Um, I'm going to have to link it up. I, but I was just doing a domain search cause I had an idea. Yeah, you need to start a new service and a site called RateMyDataLayer.com. The the domain is available. <laughs> Too hot where, to handle. Where you rate data layers? <laughs> How amazing would that be? But that but honestly, yeah, that yeah. was one of the that was one of the ideas we had for Tactician early on. Right, is that yeah. we were going to build a library of implementations that could be researched and stacked against each other and see who was doing things well and and not and and 
Anyway. Yeah, it, it one of the trickiest parts, one of the trickiest if I'm an analyst and I'm just getting started in analytics, like it's funny, before I worked at Search Discovery under under uh Evan Lapointe and Erica Barber, I I thought, oh man, you know, the and the Dunning Kruger um on the Dunning Kruger chart, I was like, which is basically like thinking you thinking you know more than you actually know. I was like right there at my peak, right there. Like, man, I, I know what analytics is and uh, I have no idea what I don't know. Um, but after getting in there, go, getting into the weeds and seeing all these different implementations, learning from them and, and like effectively rewiring how I thought about analytics, like literally had to rewire the way that I, I think about analytics. And, you know, showing me, like, you don't know what you don't know. I mean, to me, it's like, I want people to go through the same type of experience where where they're exposed to stuff that they they hadn't been exposed to. So they could take their, 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 their smug face and realize <laughs> that there's, there's so much more to it. And there's, there's obviously so much more that I have to learn, too. So I might rate data layers and it's like, Jim, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so I, I'm like petrified of doing that. Like I, I'm very, very careful now. I try to carefully criticize. Um, I try to. It's so easy to be a critic, but um, I try to. It is. It is. I try to be careful about it. Um, but the whole basis of tactician was like, I have this opportunity to show people all different types of implementations and help us learn from from what other people are doing. Like that was the whole basis of it was to create this library and say, like, look, this is what this is how people implement stuff because it's so easy to 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 fall into the trap of of imposter syndrome. And I I definitely have imposter syndrome where I'm like, you know, I'm not good enough. Like I'm not good enough. I need to learn more. And it's and sometimes that made me in my past more impulsive. Because it's like I, you know, you never think you're good enough. You never think that you are, that that what you're doing is is sufficient. You never think that what you're doing is like industry standard. But then you go out there and you look at what everyone else is doing, and a people all like a lot of people feel the same way. Uh, B, you look at other implementations and they're making the exact same mistakes that you are. You know, you look at them and, and, you know, whether it's because of business processes or because of, of lack of knowledge, it's, it's, it's humbling. And, you know, you learn to quickly stop criticizing uh, so much stuff. I mean, yeah, I still do it every once in a while, but I try to be careful and um, mindful of, of the fact that, you know, I was there, I was in that position before. So I'd love to go and rate data layers. If you want me to, raise your hand and I'll go in and I'll tell you my my gut opinion on your data. Just stop raising your hands. <laughs> You're consultants, damn it. <laughs> um, and I just told you, I don't know. I'm I'm full of shit. I don't know what I'm talking about. I no, um, I'm true. an imposter, but uh, but the, the... false lies. <laughs> no, uh, but you you know you you it, it is a really important point, and it doesn't have to be one person going out and and rating. But I one of the things that I did early on, and I'm still trying to do now, is go out and look at what other people are doing with with their implementations. We can learn so much by just studying what what others are doing. And when it comes to data layers, mm-hmm. I, I would strongly encourage anyone in a in a technically focused role to 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 make time to do that on an ongoing basis and not just looking at our competitors but just across the board searching out and researching and studying what other people are doing you can learn a tremendous amount without even talking to them just spending the time trying to understand what they were thinking through their design process it's it's really it's kind of interesting too because on, on the flip side of it where i think people don't know new analysts like folks who are new to the industry, it's, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And oftentimes you don't know what you don't know. And that's, that's okay. Uh, what I've done with my team, um, folks that I manage, um, which I'm not much of a micromanager, but, but it's, it's also easy for, for folks who are new to the industry to come in with the assumption that like, well, I know that I, I, I know there's a whole lot that I don't know. Um, but at the same time, uh, 
I learned so much from, I learned just as much from them as, as they learned from me. And with data layers and stuff like that, yeah, I might have an opinion because, you know, 10 years ago, this is what made sense to me. Um, but for, for the folks who are listening, I'm sure you've had these moments before where you've sat there in, in the meeting or something like that. And you thought, well, this doesn't sound right. This doesn't sound like it makes sense. I should say something, but nobody else is saying anything, so I'm not going to say anything. Um, your gut is often your your gut. At a at a certain point, you'll learn when your gut is right and when your gut is not right. And like, so when when should you trust your gut versus uh, when should you uh, when should you hold back and and do some more research? I, I found that like with with strategic stuff, oftentimes, this is personal experience. I like literally everyone has a different experience with this. I found that the the junior folks that I've worked with have had a really, really, really strong intuition for um, whether or not some strategic decision was was good or bad. Obviously, there there are there are cases where it's like, okay, maybe that's maybe that's you know. You're not thinking about business process, but um, uh, uh, but when it comes to technical stuff, sometimes it's it's a lot more difficult to just trust your gut. Like, oh, oh, trust me, just just <laughs> implement this this gigantic two megabyte library. I trust my gut on this one. Like, all right, hang on. <laughs> there's still there's still some things that you need to account for. Um, so, but for stuff like data layers, where it's I've I've seen people structure I've seen people who I admire structure things where I'm like this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh and then I ask them about it and I'm like, "Oh, that's that's interesting. Um there's some sort of dependency there that that I I didn't think of or maybe it's more just fundamentally more efficient to do things a certain way." Anyway, the whole basis behind that is um to come full circle with our conversation yesterday as well, having a more standardized data layer helps us. Um, it it's helps educate, but not standardized in terms of schema, but standardized in in terms of how we send data to tag management systems. It helps us teach analysts who um, might not necessarily be familiar. So so where their strengths are maybe in trusting their gut about strategic recommendations, where they have a lot of creativity. I used to be a whole lot more creative when I was in my early to mid-20s than I am right now. Um, I, I'm creative in different ways, but like um, the closer we can get the analysts to think about creative things to do with the data, as opposed to sitting there trying to figure out how to get data into the tag management system, the more value we're going to get out of stuff like data layers. Because I know there's a lot of young analysts out there who have a ton of really, really, really good ideas and really creative ways to solve problems and really creative ways to look at business. A business. And what stands in their way is this technical bullshit that we have to, to, to solve and have to get this stuff prioritized and then they lose steam, then they burn out and then they uh, go make turquoise in New Mexico, uh, do something with turquoise. And you know, I was quoting is that. Is, is that what it is? Yeah. I was quoting it's always sunny in Philadelphia, but uh, I, I messed it up. Yeah. I'm not good at segueing into quotes. <laughs> I was like on a tear well, and then I end it with like a week, like, no. Like, let me just let me just come full let circle. Just, just... And here's a quote. I don't think that's the <laughs> exact quote. The quote. Well, on that note, Jim, let's just. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, it's been an amazing conversation. The hour has flown by. Mm -hmm. um, and I've really enjoyed the conversation. As I talked about last time, especially if you are in a technical role in MarTech, uh, you should be following Jim on Twitter. You should be following and reading his blog, jimalytics.com. Amazing content. I know it's hard to, to put content out, and I always wish that you'd do more. But I, again, I know it's it's difficult, but it's it's refreshing to see the type of content you put out, that it's not just fluff pieces. It's things that are well, well thought out, and you go into 
great depth and detail in your post. So, um, yeah, if, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're in any kind of technical role, you should be following Jim and consuming this content, really, really good stuff. And again, appreciate you coming back for a second time to, to join us on the, the podcast. It's, um, been a really fun discussion. Of course. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks. Um, I promise my blog content is, is less scatterbrained than, then uh, sometimes I go with my tangents. <laughs> I'm from Atlanta. I'm from the Southeast, y'all. I, I I go on tangents, all right. And my blog posts are a lot more focused than that. I try to I try to write it and then rewrite and then rewrite because it's the whole uh, name of the podcast. So it's exactly, it's all good here. Exactly. It, it's what makes it fun. Us just kind of going it's off. What makes it real? It's real. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent, gentlemen. Great conversation. Yep, a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, y'all. Thank right. you. thank you for listening to this week's episode we hope you enjoyed it if you'd like to reach us you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at www.33sticks.com the 33 tangents podcast is a production of 33 sticks